Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Rhythms, a series exploring the essence of Christian life, asking, who am I becoming? It's about personal formation, shaping our lives with Christian values, moving beyond the mere thoughts about God to practical habits and disciplines that mirror Jesus. These are our rhythms. We pray this message is a blessing. Well, good morning, everyone. Hopefully everyone's having a good week. If I've not met you, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Coolangatta. But we're actually in a rhythm series. We do this every year. We start the year with a rhythm series, and it's about spiritual disciplines. And each of us have a rhythm to our lives that we live. I'm a bit of a creature of habit, so I like routine. Is there anyone here that likes routine? Yep, yep, just like doing the same thing every day, eat the same thing every day. People think that's like weird and boring, but I love it. I froth it. Um, but our habits and ribbons, what they're doing, they're, they're forming us, right? Now, it wouldn't be so serious if the ribbons we adopted did nothing to us, but they actually do. The rhythms and the habits we adopt, we entertain, these practices, they form us into something. So the question we need to ask ourselves is not whether or not we're being formed into something, but who are you being formed into? As a disciple of Jesus, we desire to become more like him, and therefore we engage in spiritual disciplines, in practices to achieve this. So the question we start every year is, who are you becoming this year? What rhythms are actually forming you? And today we're going to look at the rhythm of generosity. And you might be sitting there going, oh my gosh, they came to church on a Sunday and they're going to talk about generosity. They're going to talk about money. I should have come next week. Fair enough. That's fair enough. And you know, for me, I... I've only preached on this once in the last four years that we've been here, planted here at New Life Cooling. I was hoping David would get this topic so that he'd have to preach on it. <clears throat> but I got it, which is great. But I was convicted this week. I was convicted by God's word that, that we're actually called as Christians to be generous with our time, with our talents and our money. This, this is part of God's word. And, and I'm called as a leader, as a church pastor to teach all the word of God, not just some of it, not stuff we want to hear, but the whole word of God. And our mission statement as a church is we want to see more people more like Jesus. That means we want to see more people saved by the grace of God. We also want to see them transformed into the image of Christ. And Jesus is the one we want to set our rhythms around. We want to become in his likeness. So one of the scriptures today that we're going to look at is 1 Timothy 6. Now this is Paul speaking to Timothy, who was a church leader. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I'd like to pray before I get into the message. Would you please join me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is truth. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, it brings and, and stabs into our heart the truth of your word. So God, I pray that you would help me preach this word with truth, with grace, and with love, Lord. That in the end, they wouldn't look to me. They'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I remember when I first came to faith many, many years ago, <clears throat> and I started going to church, and I thought, you know what? I'll go check this Christianity thing out. I'll just go sit up the back. I want to see what it's like, see if it's actually going to bring anything to my life. So I started going to church, but I knew just, I just knew that the offering bucket would come at some stage, right? We all know that. That's what happens in church. The offering bucket comes around. So I used to take a little $5 note with me every week just so when it got to me, I wasn't embarrassed by not putting anything in. So I just put this $5 in and I just continued to do that until one day I met the grace of God. That the gospel was preached and, and it grabbed a hold of my heart and I realized that I was a sinner before God and the amazing grace that he poured out on me and I gave my life to him. And what happened from that point, God started changing my heart. You know, I was a very selfish man. Everything was about me before. And he started changing my heart that, that it's not about me. That I could use my gifts, my talents, my time to, to serve others, to love others. And so I jumped on volunteer teams and, and I was serving in those areas. But there's one area that I wouldn't let go of. There's one area that I wanted to hold on to. And that was my finances. It was this one thing that I was like, that's mine, but you can have all this. But money, that's my, I worked for that. Why should I give that away? Why should I give that to others? But over this time, God transformed my heart even in that. And when I let go of that, that's where I found this life that, that is truly life that's spoken about here. You know, until today, even today, this day, each year I look at my wage and I go, okay, what am I going to give in proportion to my wage that I'm earning this year? And every year I reassess that. You might be thinking, why would you, the pastor, give money to the church? You're getting paid by the church. So what, you get paid and then you give it back? Yeah. Because I believe in the mission of the church. I believe that God wants to work through the local church. I believe in generosity, not just to the church, but to sponsor children and to the poor and to friends and family, but also strangers. You know, it was all out of a response to the grace and love of God to me. And I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be part of what God was doing in this world. We know that generosity is a response to discipleship and it's a spiritual discipline. And it's usually the last thing we surrender when we come to Jesus. It's our finances. Because we live in this consumer culture that's made an idol of money, right? We've actually used this. This consumer culture has molded and formed every one of us to actually worship that rather than God. And Paul knows that generosity and money, it's an issue for everyone. And therefore, he says to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church that he's writing to, he says to, to Timothy, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to teach as a lead pastor. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come, so they may take hold of life that is truly life. He starts command. He says, command those who are rich. And we sit here and we go, well, I'm not rich. Can I say, I think we are in Australia. Like, look at our country. We live in a beautiful country. We live in a place where we really have not much want, right? And did you know the average Australian wage puts you in the top 10% of the richest people in the entire world? So for us to sit here in Australia in such comfort and go, I don't have actually anything to give. 
I think Paul is speaking into that age in the first century, saying, hey, command those who are rich. We, we can hear that as a command to ourselves. And he says, don't be arrogant. And don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Are we so arrogant to believe that, that our wealth is our foundation? Because our wealth can be taken away in a moment's notice, right? If you're building your hope on that foundation, it's like building on sand. It will crumble. Build your hope, he says, in God. That's the only rock that you can build on. He says, be generous to share. He says, be rich in good deeds. What does this mean? It means giving of our time and our talents. It's looking for opportunities to care and love for one another. And he says, be willing to share. What's that? What are we willing to share? Everything. Our time, our talents, our wealth. And this does, what it does is it lays up treasures as a firm foundation for eternity. Like we have no idea what our generosity brings. We have no idea the fruit that is actually born from our generosity, that we one day when we meet God face to face, we'll see the fruit of it and we'll go, oh my gosh, that was all worth it. And he says, so they may take a hold of life that is truly life. Who wants to have a good life? Awesome. Half of you. I'm sure you all do. We want to have life and life to the full, right? Well, the Bible says that life and life to the full is found in good works, through generosity, through giving of our time, talents, and our money. This is so countercultural to our time, right? Because our consumer culture tells us and forms us that the life and the life in the full is getting everything your heart desires. Our culture is telling us it's all about possessions, right? You just get all these things. Just get what your heart dreams. Even if you can't afford it, just get a loan and go over the top and just get that thing. Get those possessions. There's plenty of self-help books out there. There's thousands of them. There's so many personal wealth building books. They're all out there. There's all these books about be master of your own destiny. Be master of your own universe. Answer to no one but yourself. You notice that's all about us. It's all about our own personal selfishness, our own personal greed. But God's kingdom is totally different to the culture of this world. God's kingdom is always outwardly focused on others. And if we're saved by the grace of God, and we're, that means we're citizens of the kingdom of God, which means he's the king, which means we're subject to him and his commands, and he commands us to be generous, but he gives us a promise that we will experience life and life to the full if we obey. This is the paradox of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world says, get everything you want. That's where you'll find happiness. The paradox in the kingdom of God is that you'll find happiness when you're outward focused, when you're generous to others. That's where you really find life. Church, we need to be aware that money and greed is one of the most insidious and powerful forces that pull us away from God, pull us away from godliness, and they pull us away from truth. You know, just a few verses earlier, before this section, Paul gives this warning to Timothy. He says, For the love of money is, a, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What I love about this text, he says, money's not evil. Money's fine. He says, what is evil is the love of money. Money can be used for good things, but when we love it, and that's our God, then that's an issue. He says it's a heart issue, right? And he says that people have actually wandered from the faith. They've wandered away from the truth. They've wandered away from God because of their greed. They want to hold on to things, and they don't want to continue in their discipleship because it's like, 
oh no, if I've got to be generous, I don't want any part of it. They've wandered away from generosity and it says they've pierced themselves with many griefs. How often in our consumer culture do people overborrow? We live beyond our means, right? We just think, oh, if I just get a better job that pays more, I'll be happier and they get a better job that pays more but then they just borrow more. And we pierce ourselves through a lot of the time with living beyond our means. And the answer to this problem of the love of money is, is actually generosity. You see, when it comes to generosity, it's a hard issue. It's not a financial or a time issue. It's actually a hard issue. And Jesus knew the threat of money on the human heart. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than we do in church? 15% of all his teaching involved money. One out of every 10 gospel scriptures involves money. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke about included money. That's 42% of his parables. Timothy Keller says, Jesus warns far more about greed than about sex. Yet most of us, but almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with a working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. It's so interesting. When I, when I read this, I was like, Jesus talks more about greed than about sex. And if I bring up sex in the church, where we believe in, in not fornicating, we don't believe in, in adultery, we believe that, that all that stuff is bad, everyone goes, yeah. But if you bring up the taboo, the issue of money, everyone's like, I oh, don't talk about that. But, but Jesus spoke about it. He spoke more about the issue of the heart around money. And we ignore this in our culture, right? Because our culture is set on consumerism. And we ignore it in a discipleship. And sometimes rightly so. I need to acknowledge here that, that churches have hurt people. That churches have not used money wisely. That there's the prosperity gospel out there, which is not biblical. And people have been ripped off and hurt. So I want to acknowledge that. I'm not denying that. The church has done that over the years. But sometimes we take that excuse to not give to the current church that we're part of. We take that past hurt and we go, well, I experienced this or I heard of this, so I'm not going to give to my current community. I'm not going to give to the mission of God. And that's just an excuse not to give. We just got to call it for what it is. Maybe you need healing in that space. But what we need to do is we need to redeem generosity from this narrative that's making excuses for us just to continue to be greedy. So today what I'm asking is that we would actually be real with ourselves and generally ask the question of our heart. Am I generous as I should be? In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting how this is very similar to what Paul taught, right? It's almost identical. So we know where Paul got this teaching from. He got it straight from Jesus. And this flies in the face of nearly all modern financial advice, right? Jesus speaks directly into how we manage our time, our talents, and our money. He says, don't keep it all for yourself. He says, be generous. And that when you're generous, you're storing up treasures in heaven. As I said before, when we get to eternity, we'll see our investment in others investment in the gospel where people have come to know Jesus and we will so joyful inside. And our treasure will be to see God face to face. It'll be to, to be in his presence. And again, Jesus, just like Paul points out, this is actually a heart issue. Jesus is saying to us in our modern times, show me where you spend your time. 
your talents and your money, and I'll tell you what you really love. Show me where you spend your time. Is it just on Netflix and then you don't have time to care and love for others? Show me where you spend your money. Are you overspending on just that desires of your heart that you can't give to charities that you can't give to others to help them in their time of need? Show me where you spend your time, your talents, and your money. And Jesus is saying, show me that. And I'll actually show you what you really love. But we make excuses why we're not generous to the church or the poor or to our family or friends. But if we're honest with ourselves, we actually all have margin in our life. All of us. And it's a hard issue according to Jesus. But in Luke 12, Jesus says, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I can just imagine Jesus just yelling, going, Hey guys, watch out! This is really important. Greed is insidious. Greed grabs a hold of the human heart and we think we've got to hoard everything to ourselves. He says, life's not about your possessions. But here's the thing, in our culture, life's all about possessions, right? Because our, our possessions show our status. It shows our success. It shows how good we are and how successful we are in life. So we've been formed to, to hoard these possessions to show people how successful we are. And you know what? I can sit down. And I can sit down and calculate all the time and money that I've given over the years to the church, to outside charities, to my sponsor child, to friends, to strangers, and then dream of all the things that I could have bought. That dream car I could have paid in cash. Or I could be living on the beach with a bigger mortgage. But that's the problem, right? It's all about me. And that's the problem with some of us here today. Our heart is solely focused on our own desires and wants. But I can tell you that every cent, all the time, and everything I've given back to God through generosity to the church, to, to others, to the poor, to the needy, doesn't even compare to the generosity that God showed me through his loving grace. You know, years ago, I didn't know him. My life was a mess. If you looked at my life, you would have gone, he's got it all. Beautiful wife, two kids, house, he had all the toys. I was empty. I had nothing. I didn't know who I was. I had all the possessions, but I didn't have life. He gave me life. He gave me life that was truly life when he transformed me by the gospel. I could literally give everything I have, and it'd be like holding a candle to the sun compared to God's grace and what he's done for me. And Jesus says the problem, but also the answer, is the position of your heart. So the question we have to ask ourselves, what is the position of our heart? We have the boldness to ask God that. God, where's my heart in this? Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is any of your treasure being set aside for generosity? Is any of your time and your talents being used for others? You see, we need to see this, generosity, as a spiritual discipline. Really, disciples need to see it that way. I remember when I got saved shortly after, Stu Cameron, our lead minister at the time at New Life at Rabina, he put me onto a book. It was about spiritual disciplines, and I loved it because I was a new Christian. I'm like, how do I grow to be more like Jesus? How do I get closer to God? And this book had spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible, like prayer, like fasting, like silence and solitude. <clears throat> and then it had a section on Generosity. Generosity of time, talents, 
and money. And I remember reading that going, I love all this, but this one's tough. <laughs> this one's like, oh, this one's hard, right? But I had to actually put that into place as a spiritual discipline to grow. I had to make a decision. I am going to be generous. Why? Because I know and love God. And so that's what I do. I set aside the portion of my wage every year and I put, give that to God first. I make sure the money goes to my sponsor child first because I want to put those things first before I put anything else in front of them. But that's a spiritual discipline that I had to put in, a rhythm that I had to put in. You see, the rhythm of giving of your time and your talents and your money, it's a spiritual discipline, but it's a discipline that disciples of Jesus will engage in. Why? Because our hearts have been transformed by God and we love God. You see, church, love needs to be the driver, not compulsion. Not compulsion. And we see an extreme example of this love as a driver in Mark 12. In Mark 12, we see this story where Jesus is sitting outside the temple. It says, Jesus sat opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Jesus sits opposite the temple, and he wants to teach his disciples a lesson. You see, Jesus didn't do anything that was unintentional. Everything he did was intentional. So he's sitting there, and he's watching what's going on, and he calls his disciples to himself, and he goes, Hey, who put in the most money? And so I was like, oh, that guy. I saw the big water cash as he came in. It was like this thick. He chucked it in. He's the man. Jesus was like, hey, do you want to know? Do you want me to tell you the truth? Who put in the most? That lady who put a few cents in that jingled when it went down. Do you know why? Because God sees sacrifice. God sees percentages. So if you give 100% of what you've got, God sees that as giving more than someone that just gives maybe 1%. It's not about the amount. It's about how much we're sacrificing in our heart. And we get this from the Old Testament. The Old Testament had a tithe of 10%. And the reason why it was a percentage is that that meant everyone was sacrificially giving in proportion with their wage equally. So you could have someone who's only giving $5, but someone who's giving $500, but they were giving equally in God's eyes. God sees it that way. That's the beauty of what Jesus is pointing out here. But here's the thing. Over 2,000 years, Christians have adopted this principle of percentage because it means when we're in church that everyone's giving proportionally to their income. Everyone's giving equally. So if someone gives a dollar or someone gives a hundred or someone gives a thousand, the person giving a thousand doesn't get to say, well, I gave more, so I get to tell the church what to do. Or I have more influence here than that person. They only gave a dollar. They need to be quiet. That's not how it works. We all give proportionally, and that's how God sees it. No one has more influence because of how much they give. Now, am I saying that we should all give 10%? No. Let me be very clear. It's not a law for Christians. Okay, this is an Old Testament law, but Christians for 2,000 years have used this principle to guide their giving. Now, am I also saying that that you can't enjoy the fruits of your labor. No, the Bible's very clear in the teaching on that too. If you work hard and you make money, God says enjoy that. Enjoy your money, but don't put God last. 
Don't be like, I'm just going to enjoy all this money and then, you know, I'll just have nothing for God. The Bible teaches about earning, but it also teaches about giving. And I'm just explaining to you what the Bible teaches there. Now, I want to be very clear as well. If you're here and you can't put food on the table and you haven't got a roof over your head, we are here for you as a church. There's so many examples in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, but I'm going to the New Testament, where we are called to support the widows. We're called to support the poor with food and clothing. And we as a church, we have New Life Care that does that. So if you need food, if you need clothing, if you need accommodation, please see us. We can get you all that stuff. But even when we're in that position, we can still be generous with our time, right? We can still be generous in loving others. So if you can't put on food or or haven't got a roof over your head, please come and see us. But there might be some of you here that might desire to give more than 10%, just like the widow. And that's awesome. You know, as the lead pastor here at New Life Coolangatta, I refuse to look at the bank accounts. I have no control over them. I have no touch of them. And I've wanted to keep it that way to secure my heart. So we actually have a financial manager that manages all the money for all of our churches. And I don't look at it because I don't want to see who's giving more than others. I don't want to treat anyone differently. I want to love every one of you equally because God loves every one of you equally. I don't need my heart to see that stuff to me, for me then to treat others better than, than others. It's not good. But here's the thing. It's not about how much you give to the church. If you give more and you think you deserve more influence, that's a consumer mindset. That's like buying a product. And unfortunately, in the West, the consumer mindset has invaded the church. We think, I'll give to the church if I get something out of it. If I like the worship, if I like the preaching, if I like their programs, then I'll give to it. That's buying a service. That's just buying a product. That, that's actually not biblical giving. Biblical giving is just giving out of the generosity of our heart. Biblical giving is giving because of what God's done for us, that we would see the gospel continue in our area. We give not wanting anything in return. But unfortunately, this consumer mindset has come into the church. But here's the thing. Jesus takes it even a step further in Luke 6. He says, But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High. Jesus tells us to even be generous to our enemies. And we won't even be generous to the people around us. How in the world are we meant to be generous to our enemies if we don't even believe in the mission of God in the place that we worship? And the question is, why does Jesus contrast the rich people and the poor widow? Again, it's, it's all about the heart position, the position of the heart. You see, they gave out of their abundance. and They did it to look good to look like they were holy, to get influence. And Jesus actually rebukes them later on about this, the Pharisees giving to look good. So they were giving for position, but this woman literally gave from her heart. What we find here with this widow, she was compelled. This was the outworking of love, an outworking of gratitude, an outworking of sacrifice and worship to her God. Amy Carmichael says, You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. What she's saying is, you know what, you can give without loving. But you know what, if you love, you're actually compelled to give. You're compelled to give to God. I just want you to think about the grace of God that's been given to you. Are you thankful to him? 
Church, we've been deceived in our Western culture by our consumer culture. With this ideology that we never have enough, we just need more. You know what's crazy? Every time I travel to a third world country, I find more generous people there than I do here in Australia. Have you noticed that? You go to a place where they are literally poor, but because they don't have our culture, they are so generous. I've been to places where they're having their meal, their only meal for the day, and they're offering me half of it. And I'm just like, why are you offering me this food? Like, you have nothing. But they have this heart of generosity. In the West, we've been deceived by our culture. And there's absolutely no point in Jesus teaching his disciples this lesson if they were not meant to carry this teaching into the future church. God wouldn't have inspired the writers of the Gospels to write down. So giving financially to the mission of God has never been stopped by Jesus. In fact, we actually see that it continued in the Gospels because even Jesus and the disciples relied on the generosity of others and the spreading of the preaching of the gospel and to support their ministry. We see this in Luke 8. It says, After this, Jesus traveled from, about from town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. We see here, we have these women supporting the ministry of Jesus, supporting the disciples to go from town to town to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. How? It says out of their means, which is their time, their talents, and their money. The question is, why would they do that? Well, the text tells us, right? It says, out of gratitude for being delivered and healed and saved because they're walking with the Son of God, who's redeemed them and restored them and called them into his kingdom. And each one of us has been delivered if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus. We've been delivered of sin. We've been healed spiritually. And we've been saved by the grace of God through the preaching of the gospel. So why would we not respond in the same way as these faithful women and support the continuation of the preaching of the gospel and the ministry of reconciliation in and through the local church here in Coolangatta? And this generous, generous support of the gospel, it actually continued in the early church. It didn't stop there. The question we've got to ask ourselves, does God care about the mission and the future of his church? Does God care about the future of his church? Anyone? Yeah, great. Yes, right? The answer would be yes. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus cares about the ministry of the church. And as a follower of God, then I should also. And the church, the early church Christians, they cared about the mission of God and they gave to the local church generously. And Paul continually encouraged early Christians to prioritize financial generosity to the church, the local church, but also churches in other regions to support them as well. In 1 Corinthians 16, we read, And now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he's telling multiple churches to do this. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving up, so when I come, no collections will have to be made. You see, Paul deeply encourages those churches to give generously to the work of God, but he even says, in proportion with your income. Again, this principle has been pulled down into the early church that they looked at their income and they went, okay, I'm going to give proportionally to what I earn. Again, if you read 1 Timothy 5 and Galatians, he also calls the church to be generous to support the work of the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, he says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honor, 
especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. And in Galatians 6, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. It says we should share all good things, right? That's our time, our talents, our finances. But what for? Why would we share it? For the sake of the gospel, for the preaching of the gospel in the area that we live, that people would come to know Jesus. And all these examples, they're totally in line with Jesus and his ministry on earth when the women provided for them from their means. And look, we need to remember that we stand on the faithfulness and the generosity of past saints here in New Life Pulangata. You know this church this year has been here 100 years? That church next door, the little church where we have kids' life, that was built 100 years ago. So the gospel has been preached. The word has gone forth from this place for 100 years through their generosity of their time, their talents, their finances. They built that church. And then later on, they built this church. They've kept these doors open for 100 years. Faithful Christians have done that. And because of their generosity, many of you have come to Saving Faith here, in this church. And many of you have come moving into the area and found a community where you can be formed into the likeness of Christ. We need to be thankful for God, to God for those generations of people who gave up their time, their talents, and their finances to the mission of the church here in Coolangatta. But guess what? Now it's our turn. It's our turn to faithfully give our time and our talents and our resources that the gospel will continue to be preached in this local community, that it continue to be preached for the next 100 years, amen? I will not have the doors of this church closed on my watch. Because Coolangatta, the surrounding suburbs, need the gospel. They need the witness of the church, of faithful, generous people willing to go out and show the love of God to people. Church, we should burn our hearts for this area and the gospel if we're truly saved. We should be giving of our time and our talents and our finances to see the mission continue here. But we need to do it with a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, Paul highlights this is a heart issue. This is a hard issue that we need to look at into our heart. He says, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. If you're going to give just because I said it, don't give. If you're going to give just because you feel bad, and you think, oh, I have to give because you know, God said so, don't give. God doesn't need your money. I'm going to be truthful with you. Do you know what he wants? He wants your heart. He actually wants to transform your heart into a cheerful giver. You know, we need to actually bring our heart before God. And that's why when we do our offering announcement, we literally say, we'd love you to prayerfully consider giving to the local mission of God in and through this local church. It's between you and him. If you want to give, give. If you don't want to give, that's fine. But I would say just bring it to the Lord. Sometimes we just need to first get our heart right because the Bible is clear that this is actually a heart issue. And it says here that God loves a willing and generous giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So where's your heart today? Will you surrender your heart to God to transform it into a generous heart towards the mission of God through the local church, towards the poor and the needy, towards your family and friends, even our enemies? Would the band like to come up?
Corrie ten Boom, she says, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. The measure of a life is not its duration, but its donation. You know, I've done a lot of funerals um, as an aged care chaplain in palliative care and also as a church pastor. I've never heard anyone get up and do a eulogy and go, hey, I just want to tell you about their awesome car. They had the best car. It was like 300 grand and it went like zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. It was sick. So much fun and their beach house was awesome. No one ever gets up and talks about possessions. You know what they get up and talk about? The love, the generosity, the sacrifice, the mercy, the grace that they showed. You see, life is not about the abundance of possessions. Jesus was right. Because the heart that truly knows the generosity of God is compelled to be generous. But the question is then, what's the generosity of God? You might be sitting there going, what's God done for me? What's demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ? That God so loved the world that he gave. Even though we were his enemies, we turned our back on him. He loved his enemy. He gave his enemy his son. And Jesus said, I'll step off the throne. I'll take on human flesh. I'll give of my entire life to show you the character and nature of God. I'll even give you my life. I'll go to the cross and I'll take your debt that you cannot pay. I can't pay it. Because you know what? I'll take that debt upon myself. I'll pay your debt that you would be freely forgiven because of my grace. And he takes that debt and when he dies that death that we deserve, he buries it in the grave. When he rises again on the third day, he rises in victory over sin and debt. The debt that you and I have, the death that you and I deserve. God was willing to give that to you free of charge. And he doesn't leave us there. He then pours out the gift of life through his word. He pours out a transformed heart into us. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in Ezekiel. And he gives us that, again, free of charge. And then he pours out his Holy Spirit on us. That he would live within us, guiding us, transforming us. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. A generous, loving God. So what are the scriptures, the apostles, and Jesus teaching us today? That the generosity is a hard issue. God is a God who is generous. And if we want to fulfill our mission to see more people more like Jesus, then we will be generous too, just as he is generous. And we'll give cheerfully to the mission of God. We'll give cheerfully to the poor. We'll give cheerfully our family and friends. We'll give cheerfully to strangers and even our enemies. And we'll give of our time, our talents, and our money. As Paul says to Timothy, who was their lead pastor, and as your lead pastor, I need to give you the scriptures, whether you like me or not. I want to give you truth. It's not about me. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay out treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Will you join me in prayer? 
Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you you just come and look into our hearts right now? Holy Spirit, will you make us willing to open our hearts to you? Would you open our eyes to the condition of our hearts? Would you open my eyes to the condition of my heart? Where I'm not being generous. Where I'm not following you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you transform us into the likeness of Jesus? And Lord, you were willing to give up everything for the sake of love. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. And Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you you're not here to condemn, but that we grow, grow in our discipleship, grow in love, and grow in grace. And as we're in this moment of, of prayer, you might be sitting there and you've not received that free gift. You've not received the generosity of God to you. I'm here to tell you that that God loves you, that he paid your debt, that he wants relationship with you. He wants to bring you into the kingdom and give you life and life to the full. So if you want to do that, if you want to give your life to Christ, if you want to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus, I just ask if you just raise your hand now. I'm the only one watching. I'd love to pray for you. You can do that now. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you're so generous that you died on the cross. Lord, forgive us of our sin. We believe that you died for us and you rose again. We believe that you love us. Lord, I pray for those that want to put their faith and trust in you. You would bless them with your Holy Spirit. They would have life and life to the full. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.